All right, wonderful. Please open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And I trust that God is going to continue to address and speak to us this morning through His Word. As I believe and He's been doing throughout this series in the book of Ephesians. And trust that He will do as well again this morning. Oh, that is my hope and my prayer. We're starting a new chapter in Ephesians, same section, new chapter, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Let me read it for us this morning. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I ask this morning that you would give us grace. Grace to hear your word. Grace to understand your word. And grace to obey it. And Lord, with this, we're asking that you would give us a heart. The heart behind these admonitions. To fear you. To reverence you, O Christ. In our families. In our household. In our parenting. As children, how we pray. Amen. Amen. The title of today's sermon is Walking It Out in Our Families. Last week it was Walking It Out in Our Marriages. So the question is, what are we to walk out? Simply put, it's our gospel identity as children of God. Our calling in Christ, which we have been studying throughout this entire book of Ephesians the last several months. And today in this text, we're being called to reverence Christ in our parent-child relationships. Or if you will, our child-parent relationships. In other words, in our families. But you know what? It's easier said, isn't it, than done. I want to ask a question, first of all, the youth who are here. And if you are a youth here, I'm so glad there's a number of you here this morning with your parents. Got a question. Youth, do you find it difficult to obey your parents? You don't have to answer that out loud. (laughs) I mean, difficult in the sense that it's not like you don't understand what they're asking. I don't mean difficult like You can't physically do what they're asking. No, it's difficult because it's your parents who are asking. You know, I mean, you love them. You love them. But it's the fact that they're the authority and you're not. Question for you parents. Do you ever wonder why the grace that has been shown to you as a believer, as a Christian the grace of the Heavenly Father which has been poured out down upon you, at times is so difficult to apply to your own children. As an authority figure, 
parenting with grace can seem so slippery. It's just like hard to get a handle on it. Like trying to get your hands around a greased up watermelon. You just you end up dropping it. You end up smashing it, throwing up your arms, and raising your voice once again at your children. It's like we've been given this cascade, this waterfall of grace from our Father above. Yet we dispense it in these little 0.5 millimeter syringes to our children. What's going on with that? Oh, I've asked the question many times. Parenting, family life, oh, it can be difficult. Yes, even for the quote-unquote Christian family. See, here's the reality, church. We can't parent in our own strength. We can't obey children in our own strength. We can't do it. There's something going on at, in your homes or at the dinner table that's beyond just the little squabbles. See, there's, there's no other area of life other than marriage where I fumble this grace more often. And it's with those I love the most. I wish I could tell you that dinner time at our dinner table of seven is a model of decorum in our household. It's a sanctuary of serenity. If I told you that, I'd be lying to you most days. That's how I want it to be. That's how I start it out to be like or wanting it to be. But soon I'm, I'm barking orders. I'm throwing out the proverbial watermelon out the door. And we're eating cold cereal, <laughs> so to speak. Oh, it's difficult. But you see, something is happening at that moment. Something is happening in our homes at dinner tables. And something more is needed than just new parenting techniques. It's what we've been given as children of God. What is it? What's going on? Would it help us to understand? We need to look at the context of this passage this morning. So in your outline, one, the context. You see, it's too easy to isolate this passage from its context and merely see it as, well... A set of commands. Parent-child device or strategy. If we do this, we'll miss the beauty of the passage. We'll see duty, but we won't see beauty. You know what else we'll miss? We'll also miss the war. Yes, the war that is taking place. Recently, I was watching the movie The War Horse with our children. It takes place in Europe and during World War I, and we're introduced to this French orphan girl who lives on this picturesque provincial farm in France. And she lives with her grandfather, who has taken her in, who has, so to speak, adopted her. One day she finds two horses in the barn. And eventually her grandfather allows her on her birthday to ride one of those horses. So in one poignant scene, we see the daughter riding up this rolling green hill into the distance. But she never returns. So we see the grandfather ascend that same rolling green hill. And once he gets to the top of the ridge, the camera pans out. And what do we see, to our surprise? A sea of soldiers, of German soldiers, of armor and artillery encircling the home. Their home 
had become a battleground for World War I. And they had been caught up in it, a war between nations. What I want to do this morning is quickly run on over, if you will, to chapter 6 of Ephesians, the section verses 10 through 18. I want to pan the camera out for just a second to see the larger context of this passage. You see, just beyond the text that we have today, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 6, beyond this text, beyond the rolling hills, we are alerted to a war of cosmic proportions, which is taking place around us, whether we realize it or not. And it involves every marriage, every family, and every child of God. This is a war which Bentley Crawford will be preaching on in two weeks from now. It speaks of a spiritual battle we face as Christians. And we read of chapter 6, in cha- chapter 6, excuse me, in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic power over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You see, we began Ephesians 1 with this cosmic plan of God. Chapter 1, verse 10. What is this plan of God? For all time, it's to unite all things in Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. And so to bring everything under submission, key word, to Christ. Starting with the church, but also including our marriages and our families, relationships as well. But friends, it won't be without a fight. Marriage and family are not exempt from this cosmic conflict between God and his servants and Satan and his demons. In fact, I would propose to you that marriage and family are the very flashpoints where the spiritual battle is often most clearly seen. What's a flashpoint? Quote, it's a place, event, or time at which trouble, such as violence or anger, flares up. And in our text today, obedience and parental influence are the very flashpoints where this battle is being fought within our families. Church, we don't just have a cultural crisis taking place in our families today. When we look at divorce rates, single-parent families, and delinquency, We have a spiritual crisis and war taking place. And we must frame it as such, just as the letter of Ephesians does. To quote one author, Andreas Kostenberger, because marriage and the family are not merely a human convention or cultural custom, but a divine institution, It should be expected that Satan, who seeks to rob God of this glory, would attack marriage. And I would add parenting and family as well. You see, we seem to expect, don't we, some spiritual opposition when we may attempt to go share our faith evangelistically or if we were to go out into the mission field. But do we expect it 
in our own homes. Our first mission field as parents, where submission to Christ and unity is to be displayed for the glory of God. So often we can feel just blindsided by this attack, can't we? But we're not left. We're not left without hope, nor the resources for this battle. I want you to notice what precedes these teachings on marriage, the family, and next week on the workplace. It's found in Ephesians chapter 18. It's the command to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, we can't fight this battle in our own strength. We can't represent or reverence Christ in our family relationships without the Holy Spirit. We can't. We can't obey as children from the heart. We can't nurture our children with grace without the help of the Holy Spirit. We cannot walk it out in our families. You see, it's the very Holy Spirit whose sword, whose weapon is the Word of God. That's Ephesians 6.17. We need to be filled. We need to be filled with His Word, as we learned a couple of weeks ago. And that is what we're doing right now on Father's Day. We're gathering around to be filled by His Spirit, to be filled with the very Word of God. What we need to fight this battle. So right in between this command we see in 5.18, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then the command to fight with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Ephesians 6.17, right in the middle, sandwiched between these two texts, these two commands, we have this address to parents, to children, to families. Church, I hope you see that this passage is more than just a teaching on parenting, that it is in one sense. But I say that especially for you who are here who are not parents. Or you who are children, but you're no longer under the authority of your parents, nor in their home. But you see, today we're really talking about discipleship. What it means to follow Christ. Discipleship. What it means to follow and reverence Christ in this battle. And this includes everyone who is a follower of Christ. Who's walking the walk and who's fighting the good fight. See, our text before us is talking about taking our walk or taking our discipleship into the home, into the child-parent relationship. And he's showing us what victory looks like. And notice that Paul addresses the children first. 6.1 Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Or A, in your outline, children, reverence Christ by obeying your parents. When Paul, the author here of Ephesians, is speaking to children, I believe he is speaking of relationship, not so much age. That is, those who are under the authority of their parents. Particularly those who are in the process, right, of learning and growing up. As we see in verse 4. To quote, to quote commentator P.T. O'Brien, presumably children that is, those who are speaking about in this passage, were old enough to understand the relationship to the Lord and the commitments 
that followed from it. In other words, I believe the Lord is addressing you youth right here this morning. He's talking to you through his word. Just like those parents, excuse me, those children who were with their parents when this letter to the Ephesians was read in Ephesus Community Church. God was addressing them, and he wants to address you today. What is he saying? Obey your parents in the Lord. As it says in your outline, A, in the Lord. But what does this mean, this phrase, in the Lord? Well, listen, command could be accurately restated. Obey your parents as to the Lord or as to Christ. Obey your parents as if you're obeying the Lord in submission to Him. Why? Because you are. You mean to obey my parents is to obey the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. When your parents tell you that you need to, stay home and do your homework. That you need to wash the dishes. When you need to serve your younger siblings. That in doing so, you are actually obeying and reverencing Christ. Yes, as you obey the authority Christ has put in your life, i.e. your parents, you are ultimately obeying Christ himself, your authority. But I know what some of you are thinking, and it's a good question. But you say, what if my parents ask me to do something that is not biblical, patently contrary to Scripture? Do I obey them? Well, no. But we know from this letter to the Ephesians that Paul is addressing the church, and his whole topic is the church. See, he's primarily speaking to Christian households. Christian families in the church or churches in Ephesus. Thus, I believe there are some built-in assumptions here. Number one, as Christian parents, your parents are asking you to do things which are not contrary or disobedient to Scripture. Why? Because they, too, are children of God who want to please God. But there's another, I think, embedded assumption as well in here. Number two, that you, youth, are also children of God or learning what it means to become children of God. In fact, it's by obeying your parents and thus the Lord from the heart that you indeed show that you are a Christian, that you are a child of God. See, obedience doesn't make you a Christian. But it does do this. It shows you that God, through His Spirit, is at work in your life. How can I say that? Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when he spoke about being filled with the Holy Spirit? What were the marks of being filled with the Holy Spirit? We learned it's fellowshipping with one another. It's worshiping God. Thirdly, it's giving thanks. And fourthly, it's submitting to one another. Reverence for Christ. That includes you submitting, i.e., obeying your parents out of reverence for Christ. Such obedience is a mark or sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
For without His Holy Spirit, you can obey. Not from the heart. In a way that honors God. So youth, there is an encouragement here this morning as well. Don't miss it. Do you want to grow in your relationship with Christ? Do you want to know if you're truly a follower of Christ? Obey your parents. And thus obey your Lord and Savior. At the end of the day, discipleship is not about Christian t-shirts, the music you listen to, the youth ministry that you attend. It's fundamentally about obeying your parents. This is where the rubber meets the road. Or to use another analogy, this is where the train, that's you, youth, meet the train tracks. That is your parents' biblically-based counsel and directives. You see, God has laid the tracks of discipleship for you in these early informative years. And it begins with obeying your parents. But please note, Paul does not say, obey your parents because they're perfect, because they're always right. Simply not true. He doesn't say merely because they're wiser. Hopefully they are. Not always a given. No, but because in doing so, you are obeying and reverencing the Lord Christ as a child of God. But you may say, Pastor, you don't know my parents. That may be true. But I know your Lord and Savior. Oh, and I know what he's like. We read in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. How? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. You can trust, children, your Savior. He who gave himself up for you on a wooden cross as a sacrifice for your sin. For you who rejected his authority, only proving your sin, your folly, and your foolishness. He died for you. You know what? And you can follow him. You can obey him. You can imitate him. Even if it means obeying your earthly parents, who sometimes seem a little cruel, or even unfair. Is obedience a battle? It is. It's not easy. It's not easy because of the flesh and dwelling sin. It's not easy because of the battle in which we spoke about. And don't expect it to be either. At times, obedience can seem so hard that obedience can possibly be right in this or that area. Oh, but God reassures us in a faith-building way in this text. Yes, it is right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Be in your outline. How do we know it's right? Paul leads us back to the Ten Commandments, which he references in Ephesians 6.2. Honor your father and mother. You see, from this verse, 
this verse comes, I should say, on the heels of verse 1. And I believe that the author here, and the divine author, is making a link with obedience and honoring. In other words, obedience is the main way in which you honor your parents and your Father in heaven. Now, later in life, honoring can look a little different, and it often does. It can revolve around caring for your parents in words of honor that demonstrates the grace of God, that articulates the grace of God that you see in their life, Christian or not. Hopefully, many of you will be doing that this Father's Day. And Paul's quick to remind us that this command, honor your mother and father, comes with a promise. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. In other words, point three, not only because it's right, but for this is good as well. It is good. Sometimes we just need to hear that, don't we? Not only do we need to hear obedience is right, we need to hear it is good, and it is good for me. I know that personally eating greens, eating salad is good for me, but I never crave salad or green vegetables. You know what I want? I want meat, baby. I want carbs. And I know many of you are the same way. Many of you Cubans, yeah. Rice, beans, pork, right? And plantains. Yeah, meat, carbs, starches. Lay it on. I mean, trying to find a good green salad in a Cuban restaurant, it's like trying to find snow in Miami. It just ain't going to happen, okay? So when I sit down to dinner, and there's a salad... Because my wife is seeking lovingly to lead us into a healthier diet. I know it's right. I know it's nourishing. But oftentimes when I sit down at the dinner table, I'll just say with a little smirk on my face, Honey, tell me, this this is good, right? This, This is good, right? This is good for me. Just say, yeah. I just need to hear the little verbal assurance before I pick up that fork instead of that knife. And the meat, all right? Lots of beliefs happening here. In the Ten Commandments, we read and learn that obedience, it's good. And it's good for you. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That's a quote from the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 12. So what was promised to those who obeyed their parents? What was land? They would live well in the land. What's this land it's being referred to? It's the promised land. Canaan, Israel. But you see in our text today in Ephesians, Paul reapplies this fifth commandment of the Old Testament and he applies it to his Christian readers. But he omits any reference to that land, the promised land. In fact, in the New American Standard Version, Ephesians 6.3 reads this way so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. In other words, wherever you live, you may live long. Are there exceptions to this? If I obey God, I'm guaranteed 
to exceed the actuary tables, to live to 100? Well, don't jump there too quickly. This is what I believe we could call proverbial wisdom. It's what's generally true and observable. And it's given to us as refreshment, cool water and provision for us in this battle. But please don't miss it. What is right is also good. It's really good. Obedience is not a dirty word. And neither is submission. Obedience isn't merely duty or drudgery. Obedience brings blessing, wellness. It offers security, vitality, longevity. The other day, I was in a small Japanese museum with my children. And we were inside part part model of a Japanese bullet train. Now, as I understand, these Japanese trains can exceed 300 miles per hour. Well, as author Paul Tripp illustrates, imagine observing this train and thinking to yourself, look at that powerful locomotive, that powerful train with so much potential. What a shame that it is restricted to the confines of the tracks. Let's set this train free and allow it to run across the meadows, through the woods, or wherever it would like to go. And then Tripp asks, how free would that train be? Well, we know the answer. It would quickly be mired through the woods, mired in the soft ground, in the meadows. In other words, it would crash. Youth, parents, The train is most free and secure when it's on the tracks. God has laid the tracks for us. It's found in God's word and in obedience to it, which means obedience to your parents. The greatest freedom, enjoyment, longevity, and wellness comes from running freely along those tracks. This proverbial promise of the fifth commandment as applied here is wellness. It's long life. It's saying yes to the train tracks and saying no to the train wrecks. That it may go well with you. That you may live long on the earth. Well, with that in mind, I want to turn just just quickly to address parents here for a moment. Some of you may be right now at the point of your parenting where you're asking this question of yourself. Should I keep on insisting that my child obey? Especially when I see so little response or fruit. Maybe they're young toddlers. Maybe they're teenagers. Well, I believe God is saying to you here, yes, Don't grow weary of asking for and requiring obedience in your home. Why? For it is right. Number two, for it is good. It's good for them and it's good for you. At times, you may just feel like, just like the bad guy. You know, always asking for obedience. But listen, if we've read our Bibles correctly this morning... You're not the bad guy here. Oh no, this is kindness towards your children. If you feel like a bad guy, let me tell you, that's a lie from the pit of hell, okay? 
in this battle. It's a fiery dart. No, you're not the bad guy for lovingly requiring obedience in your home. No, you're not. It's loving to do so. To quote Brian Chapel, if we love our children too much to require them to do what is right, then we have not really loved them enough. We haven't. Obedience. It is right. It is good for their good. But if loving our children is requiring obedience of them, loving our children is also nourishing them in a way that makes obedience easier for them. Or another way to put it, that greases the rails of obedience to keep the analogy going. And this leads to the next major point. B, parents reverence Christ by nourishing your children. Ephesians 6, 4, do not, father, excuse me, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Notice that Paul is addressing fathers. This doesn't necessarily exclude mothers, for they're included in verse 1, to whom we give obedience to, right? It's fathers and mothers. But I think it is significant that Paul addresses fathers here. I believe he's intentionally addressing fathers as the head of their own households. And he says, do not provoke your children to anger. Number one, do not provoke them. Clearly, that would include any abuse of authority, right? Or any excessive discipline in attempt to coerce them or to secure their obedience. That which would provoke any child to anger or to wrath, as it could be interpreted. But I believe Paul is saying more here than saying, Fathers, knock it off. Not being nutheads. Don't be harsh with your kids. I think he's saying more than that. You see, this word interpreted provoke does not simply refer to harshness. In fact, the term is most often used, this Greek term, translated into English, provoke, It's most often used in the Greek Old Testament, called the Septuagint, to describe God's own just anger over Israel's idolatry. Let let me explain. We read in 1 Kings 16 that King Ahab of Israel, just think King Ahab, bad dude, okay? Bad king. Erects an altar for Baal. And then we read this sobering statement in 1 Kings 16.33. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. What provoked God to anger? You see, it was that Ahab, as king over Israel who claimed to be a servant of God, worshipped another and led the children of Israel into the same sin of idolatry. To put this all together, to provoke our children is to stir up righteous resentment over an incongruity between what you profess and what you do, 
between your beliefs and your behaviors. Oh, church, please hear me. Parents, fathers, please hear the word of God. There's perhaps nothing that can provoke our children more than espousing or teaching one set of beliefs or conduct and then living another. They will see through it. And it will provoke our children to frustration, to anger, and or resentment. So here's some questions to help us parents grapple with this admonition, do not provoke. Number one, if you require obedience of your children, do you obey yourself? In other words, if you require your children to obey you in the Lord, are you obeying the Lord? Or do you yell, yell at them with unrighteous anger? Don't ever yell at me again like that. Just like you did, Daddy? Yeah. It's almost comical. We can do it, can't we? we you know, we're working with our children on the character quality of patience. Well, are you patient with them? Or do you find yourself saying, I am so sick and tired of your impatience with me. I mean, we, we, we not say it. You just, you just, it's just the facials, you know? It's just, they do something like, you know, come on now. Oh, we're speaking loud and clearly, aren't we? Oh. Perhaps you say that God and the gospel is the most important thing in your life. Do your passions reflect this? Or are you more excited about a basketball game that may be on tonight? Purely hypothetical, okay? <laughs> so game on tonight? You're more excited about that game tonight than you are about joining in worship this morning. If you're not sure what you're more excited about, ask your kids. They'll, they'll know. Or perhaps you're more excited about vacations. I could be guilty of that. Movies. Clothing. Food. Just sleep. Oh, church. If there is incongruity, incongruity, if there is idolatry, you will provoke your child. Maybe an outward anger and a wrath or an internalized anger, resentment. But the liberating good news is this. If you are guilty of such provocation, of such exasperation. The determining factor in our parenting, it's not the past, nor is it your human parents and how they raised you. It is who we perceive God to be as our Father in heaven. Oh, we have a forgiving Father. You know what else we have? We have a perfect parental model to guide us. It's our Heavenly Father. Have you ever noticed why, I don't even think about this, but I have occasionally, why there are so relatively few verses about parent-child training in Scripture? I mean, there's some help, definitely some helpful proverbs, especially chapters 1 through 9. There's a lot of examples of parenting, but honestly, most of them are pretty negative, to be honest. What's going on here? 
It's because I believe we already have the ultimate parenting manual. We already have the ultimate example and paradigm. Oh, it's our Heavenly Father. So you want a training? You want a training manual on parenting? Don't just look to Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Look to, look to Ephesians 1 to chapter 6. Oh, it's there. So we read in the very first chapter of Ephesians these words, that he, that is God, chose us in him, that's Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. God set his affections on us. God chose us, not because we were holy and blameless, but because we weren't. We were dead in our sins, without hope, orphaned, destitute. And then God said, Claudia, you are mine. You are my daughter. Alan, you are mine. He took you to be his own. He adopted us as sons to be his very own heirs, to give us everything when we had nothing. And nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not even our sin, not our stupidity, and at times, not even our foolishness. Church, it's a story of grace of how our Father relates to us as His children. We have a parenting model in our Heavenly Father. No matter what your background is, we have one right here for us. But it's a story of grace that we can too often, too often gets lost in our parenting. As I mentioned earlier, we, we can fumble it. We can neglect it when it comes to our very own children. And in doing so, we can provoke them. You see, we say, oh, it's all by grace. And yet our love is given or withdrawn based on your child's obedience to you or performance. As if conformity to the law of mom and dad secures our affection. Or even worse, as if conformity to God's law somehow secures God's love. Oh, parents, has the gratitude of grace and reverence for Christ made it down and seeped into the very fiber of your parenting? Let me tell you, it can. And that's what I want to leave you with in this last point. Point two, but train them to know and obey. We could also say, and worship God. Well, I believe verse 4 speaks to both parents. It is significant that Paul, once again, addresses fathers, in particular, here on Father's Day. Dads, perhaps you are very aware, even now, as I am, of your shortcomings, of my shortcomings, of how you may have provoked your children in the past by your example or lack thereof. 
how you have fallen short in teaching and training your children. Well, for those fathers here whose parents, excuse me, whose children have already left the home, may I say there's the grace of God that is so deep, so powerful, so penetrating, so persistent that it can supersede, it can override your parenting mistakes for the glory of God. It's the same grace that raises us from the graveyard of our dead works and makes us alive and fruitful in Christ. Ephesians 2. And for those whose children are still under your care and authority, oh, it's not too late. There's grace to change, grace to grow, grace to bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, as it says in verse 4. This word translated as bring up is the same word translated as nourish in Ephesians 5.25. Speaking of husbands, how they are to love their wives, it speaks of loving nurture and training. See, both words here in verse 4, discipline and instruction, speak of training our children. But this first word, translated discipline, refers to a comprehensive training. You could say a complete enculturation. It speaks of impressing, persuading the heart with truth. This is what we're to nourish our children with. But this idea of enculturation, it's not new to us fathers. As dads, we do it with our kids, our boys. We do it with sports. We can have the Miami Heat t-shirts, the Miami Heat car flags, and when the Heat are on television, you are there on your reclining sofa, right there to watch every minute of the game if you couldn't get tickets to be there yourself. And your child, oh, he or she is right there at your side. At your side. And your child knows. They know their bedtime, 9, 10 o'clock at night, ah, it doesn't count when the Heat are playing because we're going to watch the whole thing, even if it's a school night. Because they know every player. They know every stat. Why? Because you were raising your child to be a Heat fan. Or fill in the blank, Al, a Gator fan. Whatever it may be, all right? Well, for me, the enculturation of my children looks a little different. It has to do with things that are, well, Californian. That's where I'm from. Or at least like this, pertaining to the outdoors. The beach or the mountains. It starts with flip-flops for my kids, then moves on to the toe-covered river shoes, then graduates to the hiking shoes and boots. You see, I want my kids to love the outdoors, to love hiking, to love camping, to love the mountains. I want them to know what it's like to look at a jet black sky, void of any city lights, and to see the Big Dipper and the stars in all the reflective glory. I want them to know what it's like to stand on a mountain peak at 13,000 feet and feel the wind in their face. I want them to know what it feels like and smells like to cook a pot of chili on a single propane burner. Yeah. I want them to know what it's like 
to roast marshmallows over an open fire. But there's something I want desperately more than all of this. And that's for my children to know Christ and to love Him and worship Him. You see, as a father, I can't reach the whole world for Christ, but I can start and must start with reaching the children under my own roof. And I'm going to use everything in my power and Christ's strength to do just that. Why? So I can win my children's hearts and their minds for Christ. Dads, this is what's being captured in this text. It's not some dry, sterile, formulaic teaching of your children. It's marshalling every resource you have or can get your hands on to teach and to train your children in the way they should go, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, to bring them to the mountain, to the rock that is Christ Jesus, to show them not only the stars, but the sun which they reflect, Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, it's an attitude as much as it is an action. It's resolving to say something like this. I'm going to make every opportunity to speak to my children about God and his ways. That may well be formal devotion times with them, but it also may be times at the dinner table, in the car, on the go, Whenever, wherever, Deuteronomy 6. So yeah, go ahead and watch the heat. But talk about what you're watching. Say, son, daughter, you see that? That is, that is physical talent and ability given by God above. You know what? But they had to work hard to get there. They had to excel in discipline. But you know what? Let me tell you. There's something of greater value than even bodily physical training. It's spiritual training. You see, God gives these gifts to glorify him. Let's watch. Do they glorify God on the court? Let's listen to the post-game interviews. What are they saying? Where's the glory going? Yeah, I want to show much of them the stars. But I want to talk to them about the one who made the stars. The transcendent God of all the universe who came down. God in the flesh. God imminent to dwell among us. And I want to glory and wonder in that with my child. Do you catch it? It's making the most of every opportunity to speak to my children about God and his ways. That I'm going to avail myself of every opportunity for them to learn and to apply the gospel on Sunday mornings, on home group nights, at our youth catalyst meetings. Even if this means I'm tired, I'm wiped out, or have to rearrange my schedule or theirs. I'm going to do hospitality and encourage my children to meet with other godly children who can influence them in righteousness, even if that means at times driving long distances. I'm going to serve in the church and involve my children any way I can, showing them the value, the worth, and the beauty of the body of Christ, even if it means getting up early on Sunday morning and or staying late. Fathers, the point is not more frenetic activity. The point is intentionality. Proactive, fatherly leadership that's willing to do whatever it takes to win the battle for our child's heart. That they may know and treasure Christ. Fathers, with the grace of God, 
we can do this. And so so many of you, you are doing this. I've learned many things from you. Thank you. That's also saying one more thing. Not only am I going to train them in godliness, I'm going to correct them when they go astray and disobey. And that's the sense behind the second word, translated instruction in verse 4. I'm going to have the guts and the courage to confront my children in love. And when I'm home, it's me, not mom. I'm going to not just be Mr. Fun Guy. (laughs) What mom does all the disciplining. I'm going to care enough to love my children and to love my wife, to admonish my children, even when it's inconvenient, even when it hurts. Why? That they may know, love, obey, and worship our Lord and Savior. That my children, that your children can read Ephesians 6, chapters 1 through 3, and they can read, obey your parents in the Lord. And they're not scoffing, they're not scorning, but they're saying yes and amen. Not because they know it's the right answer, but because they have experienced it. The blessing of obedience and knowing God. By the grace of God, we can do this, parents. It's a battle of the flesh. It's a battle of cosmic proportions. But the victory is ours in Christ Jesus and by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Happy Father's Day. Band, when I come on up as we close, let us transition quietly when I pray for us as we sing this final song. Well, dear Lord, we prayed for grace at the beginning, grace to hear, grace to understand, and grace to live it or walk it out. And I pray that you would give us a grace now, that this teaching, that your word would seep down in us, that your grace would be experienced even now, even now as we look once again to our Heavenly Father, our Father's love towards us, His children. May we, as parents, be the conduit of that grace to our physical children, oh, we pray. Give us the grace now. Open our eyes to see you, Heavenly Father, and your grace bestowed upon us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's sing and stand.